Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. It's the holiday season, and it's normally a busy time for retailers and consumers as they prepare to sell and purchase holiday gifts. With Canada's inflation rate sitting at a high of 6.9%, how cautious will consumers be? And will retailers feel the brunt of inflation? We're joined today by two experts to answer these questions and more. Fidelity Equity Research Analysts Brendan Cochran and Andrew Hall. Brendan and Andrew join host Brian Borsakowski for a look at what's shaping the consumer discretionary and consumer staples sectors. This includes looking at gas, groceries, mortgage rates, and other key focuses for Canadian investors as we wrap up 2022. They'll also comment on consumer trends seen this year, including surrounding November's Black Friday and Cyber Monday, and what we could expect to see on Boxing Day. They'll also look ahead to 2023, looking at developing trends and areas of investment opportunity. Today's podcast was recorded on December 14th, 2022. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. So just before we kind of get into the retail sector, which is on everybody's minds, obviously, it'd be great if you could tell us a bit of it uh, about yourselves, what you cover and kind of how you, um, you know, you're, you're both covering sort of different areas a little bit. So just, just sort of level set for, for the audience here. Sure. Yeah. So I cover consumer discretionary and telecom in Canada and within consumer discretionary, it's, it's quite the mixed bag. I cover auto suppliers, retailers, restaurants. Uh, apparel company. So I kind of have everything within uh, consumer discretionary. And on my side, a little bit more on the uh, defensive staples side within consumer. So the grocery stores that we're all familiar with, convenience stores, as well as some food manufacturers and processors. And as well, I cover an interest rate sensitive sector with utilities. Perfect. Um, okay. So, I mean, the Bank of Canada last week or December 7th uh, raised rates. The Federal Reserve is making an announcement today. It seems like the news of rate increases is just kind of never going away. What did you make from, from the BOC's announcement and, and maybe there, what expectations do you have today? And just how is that impacting rising rates so far impacting consumers? Sure. Um, well, at least from, from my perspective, so I have more of the offensive side of, of the, the consumer industry. So it's been a really interesting dynamic seeing how in inflation has been impacting, you know, the need for higher interest rates and how it affects my sector because my defensive telecom sector has outperformed um, throughout the rapid uh, interest rate increase regime. And the, the consumer discretionary sector, there's been a lot of concern on consumer weakness. And, you know, some of those stocks have not done as well. Um, I think what's interesting is, you know, there was a lot of thought that maybe in, uh, inflation rates had we, we might have seen the peak in, you know, back in early fall kind of timeline. And as you can see from yesterday's response, granted, it's U.S. CPI, not Canada, but the markets, uh, at least initially, really, really like that, 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 that miss on inflation yesterday. So there is this building narrative. It, it's really gaining steam now that peak inflation is in the rearview mirror. And uh, I think the BOC has signaled that maybe they can start considering slowing the pace of increases. Um, and, you know, the markets are kind of looking towards 2023. 
if inflation is defeated, if, if you know, the Fed and the BOC can pivot, you know, maybe, maybe some risk come back, comes back into the market uh, in short order. And Andrew, what, what are you seeing? For sure. And I think to that point, um, you know, Brennan's right that the market has really looked to and starting to understand that it looks like inflation from a headline rate perspective has peaked, but there's still a big gap between where we are today and where the Fed or the Bank of Canada or other central banks around the world want to get to, which is back to sort of those 2% type target. And so that's really going to govern how quickly you said at the start, you know, rates seem like they're on a never ending trajectory upward. Well, based on financial markets, they're basically saying we're going to hit peak rates in early 2023. And by the back half of 2023, we may be looking at some rate cuts, uh, possibly in response to a softer economy. And a lot of that's going to come down to, of course, how does this interplay between uh, what's right now a very low unemployment economy, you know, still resilient consumer spending economy with some of the warning signs you're seeing, weaker uh, industrial production data, as well as challenges with consumers having very low savings rates. So they're still spending. But they're drawing on all those savings that they pent up through the COVID period, all the stimulus that the government uh, you know, gave out in those challenging times. That's now flowing through, but consumers are spending at sort of an unsustainable rate relative to earnings. And so when does that sort of start to drop off? That's what the market is trying to figure out to see, is there a recession coming? How deep could it be? And what does that mean for inflation and interest rates? Right. And uh, yeah, and I want to get into more of that for sure. And I just, just on inflation, though, I mean, in your particular, you know, you cover grocery stores and food prices really have been kind of consistently high. I mean, the, part of the reason why inflation has sort of dropped, dropped a bit lately is gas prices have come down, but still some of the core things that people are buying on a daily basis have remained elevated. So when you look at inflation and the trends of inflation um, based on the things that you cover, I know, what are you seeing? Is food gonna come down? Um, um, what, what are some of the things that you're looking at when it comes to those inflation numbers? It's a great question. And like you said, this is something that consumers deal with every day. The joke is gas prices are the only prices you can see on a 20, 30 foot high sign, big print when you're driving by. So people hate high gas prices and they know when gas prices are going up. And similarly, grocery shopping is for most Canadians, most people, sort of a weekly or, or more than once a week type experience. And so you really notice it when what you're buying repeatedly is going up in price. Um, and in terms of the, the outlook and what's happened really, food inflation has been continuing to strengthen. Um, so it's it's been from a, from a year over year rate increase perspective, I think at the highs in sort of September and October, the expectation would be that it's going to come down from a rate standpoint. But there's still, I think, an open question about how quickly, again, it goes back to more of a normal level. And I'll say that while certainly, you know, the grocers are, aren't ready to say what they expect for 2023, you're hearing some early rumblings around CPG companies in particular, the consumer packaged goods companies, uh, still putting in elevated price increase requests for next year. And so I think we should expect lower headline rate, but still potentially elevated, particularly for the first half of the year as we lap effectively um, what was a much lower prices in the first half. So unfortunately for consumers, it doesn't look like inflation relief near term, but probably a slowing rate of increases. Um, Brendan, you said, you know, you guys both were talking about sort of consumers spending um, from their savings they, they had accumulated over COVID. But if, you know, if, if gas prices fall, does that uh, make uh, people have more discretionary income to spend on some of those discretionary items? Are, are you seeing any of that taking place as, as gas prices decline? Yeah, it, it, it does. And we do see it. Um, but I think the most important thing is, again, to keep in mind that that 
consumers have built up a bit of a war chest of, of COVID savings, thanks to things like government stimulus, like what Andrew, Andrew mentioned. Um, <clears throat> based on most projections, it looks like even with the higher gas prices that, that, that have taken a bite out of that, most consumers in the US specifically, which I think is also true for Canada, they seem to be fine until mid-2023 relying on, on, on that, the, that, the, that COVID savings chest. Um, so, you know, and, and so, you know, gas prices coming down is certainly helpful, but as Andrew mentioned, grocery prices are still elevated. Um, I think, you know, the big question will be, there is the discretionary element. And what we're seeing is a lot of promotions in discretionary. We're seeing a lot of sales. We're seeing a really aggressive Black Friday, um, a selling period that just passed. So I think there's some optimism that maybe the, the, the discounts in that part of the retail environment can help soften uh, some of Andrew's, you know, higher grocery costs, et cetera. And we can kind of glide towards that mid 2023 where, where consumers won't really be too stressed uh, until then. But, you know, it remains to be seen. But I mean, I think we'll talk about Black Friday shortly, but there were some pretty good deals this Black Friday. Right. So so if consumers are uh, not Rest until 2023. What does that mean for the next couple of weeks? What does that mean for Black Friday? I think a lot of people are just looking at this to see, is this going to give us a sign that recession is to come? Um, retailers are probably nervous about what they're going to make over this season. Um, but So what do you expect? Yeah, a really interesting uh, Black Friday season. Retailers got themselves into, into a bit of trouble heading into Black Friday. And we don't really think it was because consumer spending had slowed. There was some at the margin. We talked about higher gas prices and things like that. But what really hit the, the retailers was the relaxation of the supply chain that, you know, they had gotten so used to ordering things 180 days in advance because, you know, whether you could get a port in China or how long the ship would take to get to America, those were all questions. And as the supply chain healed with, you know, as COVID disruptions eased, um, ships started all coming at the same time. Uh, so you've got this, this wave of inventory that hit, uh, that hit the West Coast and, and the retailers at a time when consumer spending had started to, you know, to soften a little bit. So we entered Black Friday with basically all retailers having too much inventory. Uh, so, so in order to clear the inventory and get into a healthy, a healthy position to end the year so that you can start 2023 with clean shelves, um, there were some really aggressive promotions and we saw it particularly at the low end companies that sell more to the low end consumer did have very aggressive promotions. Um, so what I can tell everyone on the line here for uh, Black Friday results is, is I think it was a, a t there, there were two big takeaways that, that I got from Black Friday. The first one was that e-commerce did, did pretty well. Um, and so, you know, those fears of maybe people, the, the, the COVID trends, you know, buy online trends doesn't seem to, uh, yeah, of course the the comps were the the, the comps were tough, but um, e-commerce did well. Brick and mortar, eh, you know, okay, just okay. Um, so even with the the, the good deals, um, the good promotions, it didn't really incentivize as much traffic in the malls as was expected. And breaking that down further, in terms of the categories that did well, um, surprisingly, toys and electronics seem to have done pretty well. And again, a big part of that is, is aggressive promotional spending. Um, apparel, despite even more aggressive promotional spending, did not do well. So um, I, again, we're, we're in a situation now where Black Friday was just okay. Um, we now know pretty much for certain that consumers have returned to the typical 
spend of you, the two camel humps. You've got the Black Friday spend, it quiets down a bit, and then the last minute Christmas shoppers the week before Christmas. Um, that seems to be the case again, or at least I should say we hope it's the case because retailers are really going to need these last minute shoppers to come through to help get the rest of that, that overstock inventory out the doors. Um, so unfortunately, as an analyst, I get asked this all the time from portfolio managers, Brendan, how is the holiday going to be? I can tell you on December 26th, you know, we really need to see how Christmas goes. Um, until then, there's a lot of uncertainty. What was Boxing Day going to be like? If those inventories aren't cleared out, can we get some good deals on Boxing Day? Uh, absolutely. Yes. So so that's the good news for consumers. Good news for consumers um, and per, maybe even investors. There are going to be great deals um, throughout throughout Boxing Day. And, you know, if, you know, if things don't clear out so well, we might see deals as well in the stock market in some retail stocks. So, you know, maybe long term investors can get some deals in the market as well. But. Yeah, it, it there the I would say it seems pretty certain that that box, they're going to need some Boxing Day help as well. Um, you know, even even tr industries that traditionally aren't very heavy promoters, like in the telecoms, for example, we saw very aggressive Black Friday deals. Um, I, I walk malls in Toronto. Very interesting for me to see the busiest malls on Black Friday were the telecom stores um, because the deals were just that good. So there's probably going to be Boxing Day deals as well in Canadian telecom on some of the, the mobile plans. So keep an eye out for that for all the savvy shoppers out there. Great. And just Andrew, anything you're seeing on, on your side? I mean, again, back, just back to groceries, it's holidays are another big time for um, going to the store and loading up on big dinners. But will there be different spending patterns, do you think, uh, over the holidays for something like that or anything that you're thinking about for the holiday season? Well, I think that. On the fortunate side, um, you know, last year, of course, we were dealing with the onset of Omicron that, that went through through to January. And so that was sort of the last lockdown phase for Canada, at least so far. And so I do think grocery uh, spending kind of will change a little bit in terms of its patterns, obviously, because lockdowns influence means people spend more on groceries because they're eating more at home. It also means they're spending less, less sorry, more infrequently. So they're going to one big shop versus maybe grabbing a few different items on a few different shops. Um, I think the big question for grocers or the big industry trend that's going on right now is really everyone's looking for deals and it's hard to find them. And that's really pushing consumers towards the discount side. You know, one grocery executive was sort of saying they're seeing more Range Rovers in sort of parking lot, the discount grocers than they've ever seen before, right? Even people in sort of the higher income brackets are starting to look for those sorts of deals and shopping at, um, you know, lower end stores because they're recognizing that value. And of course, that's a challenge for conventional grocers when you have a footprint of, you know, higher cost, but more full service stores. I think that's the primary kind of competitive dynamic that we're in right now. It hasn't gotten to an extreme level um, where someone's really hurting, but it's sort of uh, it's something to continue to watch because if inflation continues to be sticky and we go into a weaker economy, that's only going to magnify a trend like that. Great. Um, just on, on on the saving, is there a concern that higher mortgage rates and debt servicing will eat up those savings faster in the year ahead? Yeah, so so fortunately in Canada, the vast majority of Canadians. So while you know we all watch watch interest rates, those that are even on variable mortgage rates are actually fixed payment variable, where the amount of of how much you pay, the amount that goes towards your mortgage versus interest, that changes, but your payments per month do not change. So there is uh, some optimism here that at least until we get into the cycle of mortgage refinancing, which that could be certainly painful, in terms of the near-term impact on savings, most Canadians actually have a fixed 
uh, mortgage payment that theoretically should not be changing right now, despite interest rates going up. So we have a, a great banks analyst. I think you, you actually heard from Nick recently on Fidelity Connects. Um, so, so yeah, we're, we're not as concerned about near-term impact on saving. It's more just the broader consumer sentiment, you know, it, uh, going to the grocery store and seeing, uh, seeing, you know, what inflation is doing. That seems to be the bigger dynamic right now. Great. Um, the other big story uh, for retail is China's reopening, which is just starting up again. Um, how is that going to impact, I guess, you know, the global economy, but, but the companies that uh, ship from China, that sell to China, um, where do you see that uh, impacting the companies? Sure. Yes. Yeah. So, so, so this impacts my sector in particular, um, you know, because I, I have companies that sell in China, um, but also companies that rely on the Chinese supply chain for, for, for key inputs into their own manufacturing processes all, all around the world. Um, and to be clear, you know, the market is excited about this. And the market, especially the Chinese markets and stocks with Chinese exposure, have all done quite well recently. And, and we can say with certainty that COVID zero is definitely going away. I just spoke to a colleague in Shanghai last night, um, and he was saying, yeah, uh, if things, it's completely changed. Uh, you know, I'm working from home. Everyone is just working from home. No one can go out. And the unfortunate thing is everyone's getting sick. So, so we do have to acknowledge there will be a very unfortunate and painful human toll over the next three months. So, so, you know, we'll, 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 you know, we'll send our best wishes for what happens there, but the market is forward looking and we do have to think beyond that. What does this mean for companies? And so, for example, one of my companies, uh, Canada Goose, is one of the examples. You know, they sell luxury jackets in China. Um, a reopened Chinese economy um, will be good for a company that whose strategy is very much um, it, their growth strategy is dependent on China. Um, but companies that I cover in the auto supply chain, for example, um, they had disruptions during COVID because of a Chinese plant that would go down, and you couldn't get the pump that you needed for for you know for the the part of the automobile. Um, so as the Chinese economy reopens and you get less COVID disruption, there will be greater supply chain certainty, and that should be a tailwind for basically any company who uses parts from China. Great. I mean, how long does it take for, do you think, for, we've seen supply chains kind of working themselves out in, in some sort of way over the last few months, but with China's reopening, you know, is the expectation that, you know, the supply chain issues will now disappear um, or, or, or how do they kind of now work themselves out now that um, China is reopening? Yes. So, so out, so again, we need to put the, the caveat there that the next three months are going to be difficult and there very well could be another um, an, another surge of supply chain issues as as many of the workforce might be unable to work. So acknowledging that, that there will be, you know, a near term challenge um, beyond that, um, probably after Lunar New Year. So we're talking, you know, late January, early February, when everyone goes to goes home and then, you know, comes back to work. That's probably a good timeline for when the supply chain is fully healed. Um, uh, but, but yeah, just to keep in mind, the next few months might, might be difficult for anyone out there who, who has, um, anything dependent on the Chinese supply chain. You know, we're talking about consumer stables and discretionary, but both of you cover utilities, uh, uh interest rate sensitive sectors, utilities and telecom. And, uh, maybe Andrew, just, uh, you know, from, from the interest rate sensitive companies that you cover utilities, what are you seeing, um, in terms of opportunities or how that sector is performing as rates are rising? And then Brandon, you can talk about telecom. For sure. I would say to, to start off with the, the big dynamic is, um, you know, ordinarily increasing rates is negative for interest rate sensitive sectors. 
because as bonds get more attractive, you know, your yields have to go up higher to compensate. But of course, there's a real fear in the market about a recession. And of course, these are very stable businesses, very uh, you know, irrelevant with respect to the economic cycle in terms of impacting your fundamentals. And that interplay and that sort of tug of war has been at the center of what's driven performance in the sector sort of year to date. And so broadly speaking, they've done quite well, you know, particularly versus the U.S. markets. Obviously, the Canadian markets, commodities and whatnot, TSX is not down all that much relative to the um, S&P or the, or the NASDAQ. Um, but they face some challenges, I think, on a valuation re-rate, recognizing, hey, you can get fixed income alternatives, you can get bonds in, from the government of Canada, 3 4%, and now you can get corporate bonds yielding over 5%. And that's been, I think, challenge for some of the valuations. And as we move forward, of course, uh, something that's important for fundamentals, utilities, talking about inflation everywhere else, it's an inflation impact to consumers too when uh, fuel prices go up, natural gas, coal, those are still bedrocks for a lot of consumers or uh, utilities. And um, that's a bit of a challenge for them. And we're already seeing it where governments are potentially pushing back on certain, certain rate increases and really pushing the utilities to focus on affordability. I think to this point, it hasn't been a big impact, but the longer that fuel prices stay high and the more squeeze the consumer gets as the economy weakens, it's something to keep in mind um, when thinking about how defensive defense is. Yeah, uh, just a quick, just a quick, sorry, follow up on, on the utilities. Just what about the long-term outlook? Um, I mean, utilities again, yeah, are everyone needs them, but they're undergoing a transition too with the, uh, you know, with the transition to net zero, pressure for renewables, different ways of uh, managing the grid. Are those some, you know, are those headwinds? Or are those things that could impact the sector in a bigger way going forward? I think it, it will certainly impact the sector, and I think for the large part, it's a positive because more spending means more dollars for the, for the utility. They earn basically a return on every dollar they spend. And the, what that return will be will be sort of move around with the regulators and the sentiment. Um, but generally spending more is good. But it does create a complicated social contract, right, where there's a real focus on affordability. And then there's also focus on the long term. But for example, intermittency of renewables, if you add 10% solar to your grid, you can't really take much natural gas offline to start with because the solar it might be cloudy one day. And that means you're kind of carrying two sets of costs at once, and you have to smooth that glide path for consumers. And so I think as we're recognizing moving towards net zero, it's very important, but it's very complicated. And so I think in general, it'll be positive for utilities, but you have to really watch which ones are well positioned within their regulated environments, because obviously each utility is local. Nova Scotia is not the same as Florida, it's not the same as Arizona. And what do those dynamics look like? And there could be some utilities that get caught off guard or get caught in a tough situation. You know, hopefully that's where we come in to really understand those regulatory processes and you know, talk with the relevant experts, have a better perspective on what's going on there, hopefully better avoid those kind of pitfalls. Great, and, and yeah, sorry, Brennan, uh, Telecom. Yeah, sure, yeah. So uh, Telecom saw a very similar, similar dynamic to utilities. So despite being a very, heavy capital intensive industry where theoretically higher interest rates are are not good for the business and for the potential returns you can earn there was an initial flight to safety that that the market kind of didn't care about that element of of, of the the earnings algorithm it was valuation was just bid up so much in the telecoms as you know more of the offensive stuff was selling off investors rotated into telecom and bid up the multiple to all-time highs for the canadian telecoms um and sure enough um in late summer, early fall, when the peak inflation narrative started to, to, to rear its head, um, valuation stopped going up. And um, 
where we are today, we're still at an elevated valuation level in the telecoms, uh, but uh, we're on a bit of a downtrend, a bit of a, a reversion back to the historical mean now. Um, and it's very interesting where this is coming at a time for potential big change in the telecom industry. And um, I mentioned before, Black Friday deals in the telecom space were, were very aggressive this year. So you're, you're kind of thinking if it's already this aggressive, how is it going to look with a potential, you know, a, a new entry, not, you know, not exactly a new entrant, but someone who is buying uh, freedom assets with a purpose to take market share in the next few years. So it's a very interesting time in telecom where, you know, valuations, you know, there was an initial flight to safety and now investors have to really try and digest how is the industry going to change over the next one to two years if the merger goes, goes through. Um just back to staples and discretionary, and uh, I, I'm wondering from both of you, what kind of environment do you think we're going into, risk on versus risk off? I mean, there's worries about sort of a deep recession. Some people think it might not happen. Um, as you said, you know, people are still spending those. So, our, our, and investors are, are sort of seem to be kind of all over the map, and, and every day it's a bit different. So, um, are, where are we based on kind of what you're covering? Are investors looking more at discretionary today and maybe more risk on or staples, a little more risk off? What are you both seeing? Yeah, so yeah, maybe I'll start. Is um, you know, I I've been advocating internally for us to look at the sector on an income quintile basis. Um, so you have your first quintile is your lowest income consumer, and your fifth quintile is your highest income consumer. And I think the market has kind of been been saying this is the stocks that are exposed to the first, the second, the third income quintiles have have not done very well. Um, and there is some concern. And I think we can kind of start to see it in the data or at least the spending data I track. Whatever this recession is that everyone's worried about, I think we're already in it. I think it's already started. And now the question is, how deep does it go? How long do we stay in it? Because if you're a first or second in, uh, income quintile consumer, yeah, you're, you're probably feeling recessionary situation right now. Um, the fourth and fifth income quintiles are doing fantastic, um, and those stocks haven't been hit as hard. Um, so I think the question now is, you know, if we do see layoffs, where are the layoffs? You know, are they do, 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 do the layoffs bleed into, you know, white collar office layoffs? Because if you're thinking about what hits the fourth and fifth income quintile and their confidence, it's, it's pretty much do I, you know, how confident am I in keeping my job? So, so that's something that we are monitoring very closely. Is, is you know you don't want to see any layoffs, but we have to we have to deeply understand which quintile is affected by layoffs as they start to happen. So I think on balance, yeah, I think on balance, defense has had a quite a good year, and I think the question is, you know, how much momentum can it sustain? And unfortunately, that's going to come down to primarily inflation, right? Because at a certain point, if the Fed has to continue to keep rates high or continue to increase rates above what people currently expect, ultimately at some point that would cause a recession, right? There, there's, a, there's a tipping point that that's sort of becomes unavoidable. But I think we got some good news. Uh, the last two inflation prints have come in a little bit softer, um, but there's still some you know, conflicting signals in the data. So I think it's important for us as investors, for everyone on the, on the call to really you know, be flexible in your thinking. I think if you're too stuck thinking a certain way, you're gonna miss a lot of opportunities. And of course, selecting within a sector you can oftentimes outperform sort of the macro narrative of offense versus defense by finding the right companies. And that's certainly what Brendan and I are here to do. Um, but I think, it, you know, in large part, there's still a lot of uncertainty around them, what the macro will look like. I think that probably helps, you know, defense for at least a little bit while, but there's big, there's potentially big opportunity on the offensive side. And so it really does come down to 
know, how quickly can the Fed solve inflation and can they solve it without causing too much uh, collateral damage to the economy? And I don't think there's a good answer. And that's why you're seeing such wild swings in the market, you know, week to week around different data points. Great. And we just have a couple of minutes left. And just on the point of sort of picking those good companies, um, how, what is your approach? Maybe you can, you can tell us just what do you look for in a company? What makes it um, you know, a good, interesting opportunity for, for investors and, and for the funds that Fidelity is running? I can start and say certainly there's a different, different set of criteria for different companies. You know, the easiest one is to say a good long-term compounder, which would be a company that has you know, good returns on its investment, has opportunities to reinvest in the business. And it has, you know, leading moats, whether through brands or positioning or unique assets, and you're able to compound that value over time. Of course, there's also dislocations in the market. So any given time, the market might be overly concerned, overly punitive, or a missed quarter or tough near-term fundamentals. And we could take a time advantage horizon fidelity and take the long-term view. So I think, you know, in large part, those are sort of the big buckets we try to look at and understand, you know, what fits into each of those opportunities. Of course, there are a lot of landmines when you think you're playing a dislocation play, but you don't realize how bad it's going to get. And so we certainly try to dig through a layer deeper. We speak to management. We speak to the experts. We have a lot of different data points, proprietary uh, systems that we use to support, you know, and bring up more data that maybe other people don't have access to. And we put all that together, obviously, within an organization that has so many touch points, thousands of company meetings a year, industry analysts covering every geography and every place so that you can talk to them. And when you put all that information together, we try to sort through and find the right ones. I, I think I totally agree with that. I, I think there's, you know, at the end of the day, we have so many different different investing styles at, at Fidelity with all the different PMs. I think a common thing, though, is the value of sitting across from a CEO of a company and really staring them in the eyes and, and really getting a read on who they are and, and what their plans are. Um, and it, there's really no substitute for that. And the benefit of being at Fidelity is companies want to talk to us. Companies want long-term investors in their shareholder base. So we do get that fantastic access uh, to management. And uh, Andrew and I host a lot of meetings for PMs and PMs are, are, have been with the company so long. They know all the companies so long that, you know, oftentimes PMs are asking better questions than I, than I am in a meeting. So, you know, it, it, it certainly, it's a team effort. Um, I, I like to think that we have uh, something special at Fidelity. Um, and um, yeah, I, I, just, I just really emphasize that point that, uh, you know, having access to management, having access to experts that Andrew so rightly made, um, I think that's a really important advantage that we have. Great. Um, I'm going to leave it there. We're at time. Thank you both so much for being here. And, and I hope you can, you know, get in your last minute shopping and get some of those deals that, Brendan, you were talking about earlier. Great. Thank you, Brian. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. You can visit fidelity.ca for more information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter. Thanks again. See you next time.